Welcome to Bible study. It's great to be with you again. My name is Nikrita, your host today, and I have a good panel again with me. I would like to say welcome first to Will, uh, being away for quite a while and enjoying some good time uh, away, you know, in holiday. Will, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. And uh, thank you to Helen. Good to have you with us, Helen. And also Len also Len, who did a great job just uh, for the last few weeks uh, while I was away myself. Thank you for coming, Len, also. I enjoy sharing. And we are all here to share and to talk about some great messages our Lord Jesus Christ appointed us to share with people. And uh, today is not an exception. I would like to just pass it to Len as he's uh, going to facilitate this Bible study today. Len, take it on. Hello, listeners. This is number six in a series of Bible studies from the book of Acts. Last week in our study from Acts chapter 9 and 22 and 26, we learned of a new development in the growth of the early apostolic, that is, Christian, church. And that was the conversion of the Jewish fanatical Pharisee, Saul, who became known as Paul. As we will see later, Paul was as zealous for the Lord as a Christian as he was as a Pharisee. And he became the apostle to the Gentiles. This week from Acts 9, 10, 11 and 12, we learn more about the growth of the Christian church as the Lord worked through the Apostle Peter, one of the original twelve disciples who accompanied Jesus while he was here on earth. Before we go any further, we're going to pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you will reveal to us today through this Bible study the things that we need to know that we might grow stronger in you. So we pray that you'll bless this time and we pray that you'll bless each person who's listening. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we learn that there was a problem with the newly formed church. Helen, what was it? In, in doing some study, I believe that the greatest barrier to spreading the gospel at that time was the Jewish con-Gentile conflict, if you like to put it that way. In other words, most of the early believers were Jewish, and to them it was actually scandalous even to think of associating with the Gentiles. So there was a barrier there. In fact, I did read that Jewish males had a custom of praying the words, Lord, thank you that I'm not a Gentile, a slave or a woman. You know, they just felt it was scandalous. And I also read somewhere where in the actual temple, there was a three to five foot tall wall of separation had been built, limiting the Gentiles to the outermost part of the temple courtyard. And signs were posted up in Hebrew, Greek and Latin, warning any non-Jew that death was a penalty for going any further. So all of the converts were former Jews who were reluctant to accept the Gentile or the non-Jewish believers. But as you read on through the book of Acts, you'll see that the attitude towards the non-Jewish converts soon changed. Will, would you mind reading Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 35? And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Anus, which uh, had kept 
his bed eight years and was sick of palsy. And Peter said unto him, Anus, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately, and all that dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So what was the result of this healing of Adaeus? This, uh, this healing certainly um, wowed, surprised uh, the onlookers, and uh, many of them started inquiring about this Jesus, the Savior, and uh, gave their hearts to him. Well, another incident happened at Joppa. Joppa's on the coast, about 70 kilometers northwest from Jerusalem. Uh, what was this significant thing that happened, Helen? Well, I find this story really fascinates me in Scripture, and I'm glad it's here. I read that the name Joppa meant beauty, and from this, in, in this actual city, there was a woman who was well known. In fact, um, her name in Aramaic was Tabitha, and in Greek was Dorcas. And Acts 9, 38 to 41 tells us the story. It says, And for as much as Lydia was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him, weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth, kneeled down and prayed, and turned him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. Some people actually believe that Dorcas wasn't dead. But if you go into the study of it and what they were doing at the time, she was indeed dead. So here we have a healing. Peter, not you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was able to raise her to life. This had a tremendous effect, by the way, on the church growth. If we look at the following verse, verse 42, it said... And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Many believed in the Lord. What a testimony. This woman in life had been a very faithful woman, a very dear woman, a, a God-fearing woman. She had died, and then Peter comes in into the place with the Holy Spirit and arise. Tabitha, get up. And she did. Isn't that just beautiful? It is. It makes me think that uh, when a good person dies, they are missed. When a bad person dies, they miss too, but in another way. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Well, yeah. after the raising to life of Tabitha, Peter stayed for some time at the home of Simon, a tanner. Now, if you don't know what a tanner is, a tanner takes um, skins that have been taken off animals, turns them into leather. But God was preparing the way for an influential Gentile become, to become a Christian. Uh, Will, would you read Acts 10, verses 1 to 7, and we will probably find out what happened there. Yes, this is a turning point, really, in the, um, in the whole uh, development story of uh, Christianity. It says from verse 1 in uh, chapter 10 of Acts, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God and with all his house, which gave much alms or offerings uh, to the people and uh, prayed to God all way. 
He saw in a vision, evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid, and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtst to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants, and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. So who is this influential person? He's a man of God because um, through what he's doing, he's uh, proving that he was not only interested in the earthly affairs, but he was also a man of God because he was taking care of many other people. One thing, if I would like to, to underline, but um, before I will probably will answer even more that question, Len, up to here, I'm just struck with the thing which Peter, the Apostle Peter, was doing already just not uh, long after uh, Jesus departed from this earth because he considered his call and the ministry. We are talking about Peter's ministry today. And uh, he did those amazing miracles. And Jesus actually said that, that you'll do things even greater than you saw me doing. And there are also other people outside, not necessarily those people who are with Jesus, who are still doing good things, but they need to be connected. And that's why in this instance, I can see how uh, God is speaking to this man, to Cornelius, that there is a man which you need to see. Cornelius was a Roman officer, of yeah. course. I was just going to say that he was a centurion, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he well, was also a very devout man. And I love it in Scripture, um, Len, where it says, and he prayed to God always. Yes. I think that was a key to his life. He yeah. was a devout man, very passionate. Yeah. Mm. Now, it says Cornelius had a vision. What's a vision? Well, I believe it was a special dream given by God in this particular case it happened through the day yeah. so it is different to a dream per se but it was a vision that was given yes. from God God has a way of enlightening the mind in in a way where he actually presents a vision or a picture or we would say almost like a video today to a person's mind where he actually sees a scene following upon scenes and um, that could be classed as a vision, but we really don't know what uh, this true vision was of Cornelius. Okay, well, now, back at Joppa, where Peter was, and by the way, Joppa is these days called Jaffa. Uh, that's about 40 kilometres south of the Roman garrison town of Caesarea. The following day, after Cornelius had his vision, what happened to Peter, Will? Peter has a vision as well. Around about the middle of the day, he falls into a trance as well, and uh, he sees from heaven a large sheet which is holding um, all kinds of uh, animals, reptiles, birds, and so on. And 
And um, he hears the command from God in this vision, Peter, get up, uh, kill and eat. And his response is one, of course, of tremendous surprise. These animals, birds and reptiles, panel, would you like to name some of those animals, birds and reptiles you think might have been in that sheet? Well, pigs, certainly, they were very unclean, but I believe they would have been in the, that that sheet as well. Um, but that's an obvious one. Yeah. I think sometimes we, we forget there were others like um, vultures or ducks or alligators. Will has kind of intimated the next bit, but Nick, what did Peter actually say in response to the command to get up, kill and eat? Obviously, he he was very strong in his convictions there and says, No, so Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Okay, well... Isn't it great that he could actually talk to God? You know, he talks to God like a friend. Yeah. You know, he wasn't sort of just standing back and saying, Oh, wow, you know, and... Sorry, and I stood back then too. Standing back going, Oh, wow, and keeping quiet. He actually said, Oh, no, no. No, no, I can't do this. Well, we talked last yeah. week about questioning God. Yes. And yes, in this did. case, uh, it was almost like Peter was saying, God, you told us not to have unclean foods, and now you're telling me to have unclean foods. What goes on here? Mm. So why did Peter reply this way, Will? I'm sure that he was uh, basing his, um, his premise or his decision on uh, Leviticus chapter 11, and other places in the scriptures where God counseled his people not to eat of what he termed unclean animals. And um, Leviticus 11, for example, I can just take one example, uh, verse 3, Whatsoever parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and yet and cheweth the cud among the beasts, ye shall eat. Nevertheless, uh, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, of them that divide the hoof as the camel, because he chews the cud but divides not the hoof, he is unclean to you. And of course he mentions a number of others, the coney and uh, the hare and so on. Peter replied to the Lord, no, I, I can't do that. You, this is, you're asking too much of me. What did God reply, Will? God said that... Uh, it's not uh, good to call unclean what God has called, has approved. And um, he, this must have really uh, confused him for a while, but God was con clearly not speaking about uh, the, uh, the animals. He was giving him a vision of, uh, of about people. This passage in the Bible creates so much uh, controversial for, for lots of people, but we'll come uh, on that a bit later on. Uh, what I want to say before that is that, you know, in the Jewish culture, you know, these people, uh, as Will just pointed out, they were taught from the scripture, you know, what to do and how to stand in front of something which was unclean, for example. But God is trying to teach, in this case, Peter, like he was trying to teach the whole nation of Israel, that um, they were focusing too much on the um, things which were from this earth, rather to, to think a little bit more of the spiritual things which Jesus taught them. Mm. And we'll see later on uh, uh, what's the implication with this vision. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to jump ahead of that. <laughs> Helen, how many times was this 
in the vision the sheet let down the command given and then it went up and then how many times i believe it was three times Mm. um, mentioned in scripture and i think the number three is is quite important it's it infers that there is something very important that needs to be shared a special emphasis do you remember when um peter was told by the lord you know or asked by the lord do you love me and three times he asked the question. That's right. And, you know, three times Peter actually denied him as well. But I believe that number three is special. Yeah. You know, it's very important. Special emphasis. So we need to listen to it. Yeah, yes. So if you tell me to stop talking three times, I will listen. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. I keep talking. Now, some people interpret the vision to mean that um, God was saying or indicating that we could eat anything. How did Peter understand what God meant? Well, I guess for a start, he knew that God had already given the clean and unclean foods, so God wouldn't go against his word. But in Acts 10, verse 28, I read the words, And he said unto them, You know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Mm-hmm. I think that was very specific and and yeah, Peter got it. He got it. Acts 10:34 and 35, um Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So the vision was to show that all people are acceptable to God and may have a place in his kingdom. There should be no barriers. One of the problems with the Jews, and it occurred with the early Christians who were Jewish, was exclusivity. Yes. Yes. And God was trying to show Peter here that all people are included. In fact, that's uh, supported from Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. What does that say there, Helen? It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. So this vision was not about food, it was definitely about people. Yeah, mm-hmm. although there are plenty of people who think this means, no, you can eat anything you like. Mm. I want to read a little statement here. It's important to know that Peter's vision was not about food, but about people, which we've been saying. Yes, it was around noon. Peter was hungry, and the voice told him to kill and eat. Yet God used the vision not to remove the distinction between clean and unclean animals, but to teach Peter about the inclusive character of the gospel. The vision was explicitly intended to break Peter's resistance against the Gentiles and Peter got it and then something remarkable happened. Will, would you like to read from Acts chapter 10, 19 through to 23? Yes, I think this uh, explains what uh, the turnaround that Peter had with regard to his thinking against the Gentiles. Uh, Acts ten nineteen. while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Rise therefore and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? 
And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. On the morrow Peter went away with them, and uh, certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So a matter of a day before, Peter would have probably resisted and not accepted these people, but as a result of the vision, he accepted them, he invited them in, into Simon's house. I don't know how that actually worked, but anyhow. Um, and then he went with them. Nick, if we have a clear instruction from God, and often these days it will be from God's word, what should be our reaction? Alain, it's very easy to say things, you know, but um, probably it's harder when you are in the situation, you know, where you are confronted with, uh, with the word of God and what God wants from you. And I just want to point out something about Peter before I answer that, Len. Yeah. Peter was a very strong man, very protective for his faith and for what he believed in. Remember that he was very quick to even pull the sword and cut somebody's ear, you know, to, to protect what he thought was right. Peter had an opportunity here to excuse himself, even through what he saw in the vision, you know, to stay away from those unclean people. Put it this way, even if, if the vision will, will say go to those people, he could use that. The reason I'm saying this is because today many people are using the Bible to suit their own lifestyle, if you like, or beliefs. But Peter was moving forward. He, when he understood that God wants him to go to those people who Jewish people hated, then he was not again listening to his impulses, but he was listening to God's voice. And that's important to me to learn from Peter that we, when we are called to represent God, even though it can be against us as, you know, as our own understanding, we need to move forward and do the will of God rather than to, to stay strong on our own uh, understandings. So if I can just put it in other terms, to do the will of God is to obedience. obey. Yeah, it's obedience. Well, day one of this little group, Cornelius has the vision. Day two, Peter has a vision. Day three, Peter goes with the men sent from Caesarea to go with them up to Cornelius's home. Helen, who was there at Cornelius's place? Well, there were many people assembled there. There was relatives, there was friends. Um, they were talking about Jesus. They were talking about Jesus being crucified, talking about him being risen as a saviour. And it's interesting when you read from Acts 10, 44 to 48, what actually happened. And, and um, the, there is a couple of words that jump out at me when I read this. And, and one of them was the fact that the Holy Ghost fell on the group, you know, that heard the word. You know, faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. The other part that jumped out at me as, as well was the fact that the people that were watching were actually astonished 
because here they some of them probably still had some preconceived ideas about the Gentiles are, are you know the low classed and we can't join them and they were astonished that here was the Holy Ghost falling on this group of people and the other thing was that they also heard them speak in tongues but the key word there I felt was and they magnified God mm. so it wasn't an unknown tongue Apparently, because they could hear them magnifying God. It was understood. Yeah, it was understood, and, and, and that's an encouragement here. But then what was even more interesting, that the final result was that, that um, Peter actually said, well, what's, what's stopping these people from being baptized? Yes, they're Gentiles, but they're children of God, and the Holy Ghost has fallen on them. And mm. they were accepted, and many were baptized because of that. Yeah. Well, why was it so significant that on this occasion that the converts spoke in tongues. God used uh, that as a sign, actually, to tell these new Christians in Christ that uh, he was accepting them as well. And so they, when they saw that, as Helena said, they were indeed very surprised, and the reason why God had given that is as a sign or as proof that God would pass his spirit on to the Gentiles as well. Uh, in fact, uh, verse 45 of Acts 10 uh, says it very beautifully. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So I think the reason why God gave that is because of... Um, Showing his affirmation, proof, his stamp of approval on accepting them into the fellowship of faith. Yes, it wasn't showing that the Jewish converts were any better. Yes. That the non-Jewish, the Gentile converts, were equal to, and at that verse we had from... I just want to also mention something in regard to the, this uh, thing of uh, speaking in tongues, because this is a big uh, issue, you know. And as we learn, even um, when Peter had that great talk, you know, and uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, you know, and there was people from all kind of uh, backgrounds, you know, speaking different languages, but they were able to understand in their language. Now, he is talking about also the um, gift of speaking another language. Interesting enough, if Jewish people hated the Gentiles, do you reckon they were keen to speak their languages? Of course not, no. you know, uh, but God is showing to the Gentiles and also at the same time to the Jewish people that God can use this miracle. Because what's language? A form of communication. And Jesus is showing them how to connect each other. And first of all, how can you connect with people if you don't understand each other? And language, which is tongue, I believe was very important from, uh, from this point of view. Yeah, that's a good point. I like it. I'd just like to share a note that I, I came across regarding the gift of the Spirit. In Acts 10, 40-48, it reveals a critical moment in the early church's history. It was the first time that the gospel was actually being preached to the uncircumcised Gentiles by one of the apostles. And unlike the Hellenistic believers we spoke about last week, the apostles and other Judean believers were not ready yet to receive Gentiles in the church. Since Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, they thought that the gospel was to be shared only with the Jews from near and far, and the Gentiles would first have to be converted to Judaism 
and then be accepted into the community of faith. In other words, before Gentiles could become Christians, they had to first become Jews. Mm -hmm. How often do we inflict that in our own lives on others? That was a thinking that needed to be changed among these early Jewish believers. And the gift of tongues given to Cornelius and his household was added as a clear, observable sign that such a concept was mistaken, that God has no favorites. He's not a respecter of persons from that point of view, and that in terms of salvation, both Jews and Gentiles stand on an equal footing before him. Mm. And listener, I want to make it clear that we all stand on an equal footing before God. Yeah. And and as um, Nick was saying before, Peter could have just walked away from this whole thing, but he chose to be obedient. And I believe, too, that we need to choose to follow God completely. No favorites. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. Yeah. So I love the fact that uh, this little statement that you've made about God having no favorites Prejudice, Jewish prejudice concerning the Gentiles was um, something that would really have held back the proclamation of the gospel. And uh, I, I see today, Len and uh, other members of the panel, that it's possible that prejudice and, um, well, the anti-feeling that we have against people from time to time can, um, can certainly slow down the work of Christ upon the earth. Mm. Now, I assume, I'm just assuming this, you can answer it if you like, I'm assuming that all of you on the panel here today have read the Bible from cover to cover. Yes, I can see heads nodding. Now, have you read anywhere of a group of new converts receiving the gift of speaking in other tongues? If you could answer for yourself, I've read the Bible right through and I have my answer. Can you remember of anywhere where it speaks of new converts being able to speak in tongues? I haven't actually come across it, no. No? And no, I saw that, Will I mean, shake I his head, I but not it, on television. Yeah. yeah, no, there's, <laughs> there's nothing that we uh, can find in Scripture of new Christians receiving the gift of tongues. Right. There are cases where... Uh, speaking in tongues is mentioned but these are the only two occasions one day my wife was uh, she's been doing um, fitness exercises and classes for I don't know donkey's years and one of her previous instructors said to her one day you're not saved unless you can speak in tongues is that true or not anybody no speaking in tongues is not what saves us no we are saved through the, the love, the grace, the sacrifice of Christ. Yeah. The gift of tongues would be only one gift given among the long list of gifts given by the Holy Spirit to um, equip the believer uh, in his uh, Christian walk and to specify that only one gift, what the lack of only one of those gifts would keep you out of the reward of heaven is, is atrocious. Yeah. Yes, I don't believe it's scriptural at all. And you know, it's, even though it's not our study today to necessarily talk about um, particularly uh, about that, but you know, Apostle Paul said at some occasion that he was a very well-educated man. And he said, I can speak in tongues more than you all, but I'm choosing to speak a clear word 
for you to understand the will of God. I'm just paraphrasing uh, that passage of the Bible. The Bible will give us enough information to understand what's all about the speaking in tongues. Unfortunately, when you can um, make a statement, like as you just said, Len, if you are not speaking in, tongue, in tongues, then you are not saved. I think it's, um, it's a very strong position to take mm. in, in, in that regard. I think it's sad because I know some people who have been involved in um, tongue speaking groups and I know one lady, she said, I tried. I couldn't speak in tongues. And so she came away very discouraged because she felt that she was not saved. We need to be very careful mm. on, on what we actually say to, to people in that regard. Yeah. yeah. Well, with the passage of time, Peter eventually went back to Jerusalem. And there he joined the other leading Christians. But he had to face a whole lot of criticism because of what happened at Cornelius's house. What was all that about, Helen? Well, actually, I, um, I, I see this happening not only back in, in these days. I've seen this happening in, in our own days. Acts eleven two says, And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. They actually were not very happy. Hmm. And I believe, really, a lot of it was tunnel vision. You know, Peter himself had tunnel vision until he saw the vision and he understood what it meant. But I believe these people still had it. They still had their ceremonies. They had their traditions. Um, you know, not holiness, although they may exist to promote, preserve holiness and reverence. Um, I'm sorry, I've just picked up on another thought there. Um, yeah. They just retained some of their Jewish prejudices, their customs, their traditions. They were not willing to give up on them. So here we have a, a conflict. Peter comes back. He's pleased that the Lord has used him to open up the uh, word of God to these non-Jewish people, and they've believed. And and here's the, uh, what would you like to say, the hierarchy of the Christian church, the new Christian church, they're taking him to task. It's interesting that Peter just had a mountaintop experience, didn't he? Yeah. And how many times do we have mountaintop experiences and we, we might um, attend a week of prayer or whatever, but we've had an amazing experience with the Lord and then we share it with someone who, who are prejudiced or not mm. a believer and they, they almost shoot us down to size, don't they? Yeah. And, and I think this is, you know, Peter must have been devastated. How was the issue resolved, Will? Peter told of his experience, actually, and uh, from verse 15 of uh, Acts chapter 11, it says, And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them, as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace, and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life? So it was his, uh, his reply 
that uh, that made the big difference yeah. and they s it settled the matter in their thoughts That's that right. the gospel was to go a lot further than just the Jews so the prejudices that they held they had to um, they were really disarmed because of what Peter had to say what happened to the Gentile converts was exactly the same as what happened to the Jewish converts yes Nick tradition tradition often stands in the way of true holiness can you name some traditions you might observe in your church man that's a great question uh, I was just tempted to answer that with another question is tradition wrong when we're thinking about tradition is that wrong I mean from under from my understanding actually we are all practicing some sort of tradition and if we are on the right line on the right way to to do so it's very good to be traditional in that way but when you are pre prodigious or how you say that correctly you know you have a um, something against people and you use your tradition to exercise that thing you know because you want to be probably politically correct and you want to say okay because of this I want to stand for my tradition you know and not accepting you but there are land traditions in our churches today just jump in there yeah. Nick if I may you asked you know was it wrong you know traditions and I'm agreeing with what you're saying but I'm, I'm thinking too that sometimes because of our traditions we become exclusive like the Jews you know and and we kind of look at people and say well you shouldn't be doing that or you shouldn't be doing this because in our mind that is so important and it's not necessarily biblical but because of that, we can shut people out or even say the wrong thing to them that they don't want to be um, in that group or that, listening that, to you. That's yeah. why I asked that question because yeah. uh, it all depends. Because if we throw away tradition, then we wouldn't have a stand ourselves for what we believe in. Mm -hmm. uh, and unfortunately, in, the, in these days, we live in a, in a context of where people can call themselves liberal or conservative into some sort of you know understanding of Bible and so on which I believe is wrong we need to be faithful to God and if that requires us to be traditional in some things to exercise faith our faith let's be traditional but what to answer uh, Len's question about some of the tradition in our churches um, Jesus said to to the Pharisees and to the uh, teachers of Israel, how well did you change the law of God in the favor of your your own tradition? Now, here is the problem when we have man-made tradition. But if there is the law of God, which is a traditional thing to do, I don't have anything against that. I will practice that. I will be very traditional to respect the law of God. Yes, uh, I think we must understand that tradition is not holiness. Yes. It's not necessarily obedience. It may lead to holiness and it may lead to obedience. But if there's a conflict, as you've pointed out, between tradition and what the Word of God actually says, you have to forget about tradition. We have to follow the Word of God. Well, it's great to hear how the gospel message spread throughout that part of the world. And you might remember from 
um, the commission that Jesus gave the disciples. He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And here we're seeing the gospel spread past Jerusalem, past Judea, past Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. Helen, would you mind reading Acts 11, chapter chapter 11, verses 19 to 22? Okay, happy to do that. Verse 19 says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen travelled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. I'm going to stop there for a moment, Len, and I'll read the next verse in just a minute. I think it's interesting that it was a great number of new believers that that we see here. So pick a number that you would say is a great number. Whoa, a great number believed. Hundreds? Well, I believe it probably could have been in hundreds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, I interrupted No, that's okay. And then when we look at verse 22, it's interesting that a particular person was sent from Jerusalem. And let me talk. I just love this guy. Let me just talk about him. The tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. So here we have Barnabas. And, and he was known as the great encourager, wasn't he? Mm. He was mm. a great, great man. And what resulted from his presence in Antioch was in verse 24, I say, he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. So here we go again. A great number of new Christians were added again. And, um, yeah, I guess... It's attributed, of course, to the Holy Spirit. Mm. But Barnabas allowed the Holy Spirit to work in and through him, and in so doing, many were added to the Lord. It seems that Barnabas was a bit overwhelmed with um, the interest of what was happening. Will, what happened after that? Yes, in fact, uh, they needed help. And um, it says in verse 26, uh, verse 25, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek for Saul. And this is where Saul um, really comes into the picture as helping Barnabas. And what a duo they really were. 20, verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that the whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Yes. So the first time this word was ever used was in Antioch, and it was probably used in a derogatory way Mm. by the non-Christians. Ah, you're a Christian. But eventually the name stuck. And so Christians were first named in, in Antioch. In Greek, I believe you pronounce the word Christian as Christianos, and it means anointed in Christ. Or, more commonly, it means those who belong to Christ or are slaves of Christ. And today, in the English vernacular, we would say servants of Christ or followers of Christ. Well, Nick, in Acts eleven twenty-seven to 30, 
is about how the Christians at Jerusalem were protected from starvation through someone else. Could you read that and just perhaps comment? It's Acts 11, verses 27 to 30. While you're looking there, can I just comment on this word Christian? It's... uh, this word Christian, uh, interesting. I, I had a friend with a second surname, second name, of Christian, and uh, he said, uh, "If I divide up the word Christian, take away Christ, I'm left with I A N, which means that without Christ, I am nothing." I oh. thought that was uh, an interesting way of putting things. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Next. All right. Then uh, verses twenty-seven. Uh, to 30 reads this and in those days prophets come from Jerusalem to Antioch then one of them named Agabus I hope I pronounced that correctly stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar then the disciples each according to his ability determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Yeah. So Agabus was given this um, not the vision, but the Lord told him that there was going to be a great drought and so the people in this other part of the world were able to provide money, maybe food, I don't actually know if there was food provided for the believers back in Jerusalem. Makes me think of what's going on in Australia right now. Yes, with the uh, drought and the farmers and uh, people needing to help each other, um, a very good uh, comparison, Len. Mm. I think Christians need to keep an eye open on the needs of others. Yes, I'm actually right in the process right now of um, organising people to give some donations for a family that I know in western New South Wales. I've organised to get some hay, some loosened hay to feed their stock, and a number of people have already. Uh, given contributions towards this, which is lovely, because they sympathise with these people too. Len, if I can just uh, mention also something there. We'll, we are looking at today at um, some situations back in the days of Peter and the disciples, and if we can draw a lesson for us today, and as we pointed out a few times, you know, there was even in those days a time of segregation, when people were just, you know, so many barriers in between them. And we're facing that today, actually, in from many aspects. We are just probably a little bit more, as I said it earlier, more politically correct, you know, not to step into some other's business. Not quite as outspoken. Yes, but God is helping these people to link together to various things, even if that's through a famine, even if that's even today, we don't know. We, we are not here to judge, to be judgmental and and uh, say things about uh, those people who are going to hardship today. But God is calling us to unite. God is calling us to find to find common ground. And in that case, even with the disciples, even they they have so many differences, 
among themselves. God is teaching them that they should unite and go together, go together to deliver the great news which God is, uh, is giving us and the Great Commission to preach the gospel. And I would like to, whatever we do, Len, even to, uh, to help people in need, it's not just to help people because they are needy. We are helping people to show that God is caring about mm. them. Yeah. I heard a statement years ago that uh, a kicking donkey cannot pull and a pulling donkey cannot kick. Yeah. There's a lesson there that um, if you're working for others um, and you're busily looking at other people's needs, you don't have time for criticism and kicking around and doing what's unnecessary. I like that. Helen, mm-hmm. Acts chapter 12. Yes. talks about another wave of persecution that hit the Christian church. Now, where did this persecution come from? Because it was different. Yes, came from a couple of sources, but let me just quickly read it. It says, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four contrarians of soldiers to keep him, intending after after the Passover to bring him forth to the people. So here we have King Herod. He was persecuting the church because I believe he was trying to impress the Jewish leaders uh, so that they had um, persecution from Romans, they had persecution you know, through King Herod. And um, it was interesting that when they took James, it said he, they killed him. But despite the pain and loss that these believers had, they continued forward under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I think that's important for us to remember. And so, yes, James was killed. He was beheaded, I believe. And then Peter, because it pleased to do so much what king, the king had done, King Herod had done to, to um, James, they then decided, he thought, oh, I'll just go and take Peter now because that will please them as well. And, you know, the interesting thing in this whole story, if I can quickly move on, when Peter was arrested, the church members immediately earnestly prayed. Um, for me, that speaks volumes. I remember in Papua New Guinea when a, one of our planes went down. It was an Easter Monday and we got the news out at our college. And, you know, it was interesting that... All the college students, without being told, converged to the chapel en masse and earnestly prayed. And I I guess there is a question that could come to our mind. Is there a difference between prayer and earnest prayer? Well, I believe absolutely. Mm. Earnest prayer is fervent. You Mm. you, You are entreating God. Mm. You know, you're really determined. I don't know what the rest of the panel think well, of that one. And and um, so Peter was imprisoned. Mm-hmm. The believers were praying. Yeah. What happened? Oh, I think this is a beautiful story. Absolutely fantastic. The angel came and um, miraculously Peter was released by an angel. Here we have two scenes. If you can picture in your mind, here are the believers earnestly praying for his release. And in the other side was Peter in prison and the shackles fell off him and he was taken outside the prison. He came to the house where the believers were and he knocked on the door. This is just a beautiful part. Rhoda, the um, um, one of them that was there, she went to open the door. She didn't. She heard it was Peter's voice 
I don't know if she actually opened the door just to flap. I'm not really sure there, Len. But she she found out it was Peter. And I used to wonder about this because she didn't open the door. She actually went running back to the others until I read something recently that it wasn't because of lack of faith that Rhoda did not open the door, but from sheer joy. Mm. And the interesting thing is she ran back. She told them. And it was like they were saying, oh, no, no, it can't be happening. We're praying for him now. You know, they were more shocked than anything, I suppose. They didn't believe. How many times do we do that? You know, suddenly God answers a prayer in the most miraculous way for us. And then we are surprised. Rather than saying, thank you, Lord, you've heard our prayer. Even before you you call, I will answer, the mm. Lord says. Yeah. And I think too often we, we, we are just surprised that he would listen to us and he would answer our prayer. So God brought about this miraculous outcome. Absolutely. Um, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, that encourages me. Will, would you mind reading that? Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says, With men this is impossible, but with God... All things are possible. Amen. Yes. All right. Well, it's interesting. We have a look at another scene. This Herod, who had Peter arrested and imprisoned, he died a very horrible death mm. because the people were cheering and calling out, He is a God. It's the voice of a God and not a man. And he didn't stop them. He took over with pride, wasn't he? Yes. Mm. And so he accepted this idea that he was God. And God fixed him good and proper. We don't have time to talk about that today, but if you read Acts chapter 12, verses 21 on, you'll read what happened. Question. We were nearly finished. Does it pay to meddle with God? No. Um, Will, would you read Acts 12, 24? We're just uh, concluding today. What was the progress in the spreading of the gospel at this time? But the word of God grew and multiplied. Short text, but um, telling us uh, a great story. Yes, continue to grow. And Len, just before we finish, a couple of lessons which I learned myself through this study. God, first of all, is interested in uh, connecting people together, people who have a belief. Now, we learn that those people like Cornelius, like other people, they, they believe in God. Even the Jewish people, they believe. They didn't believe in the way God wanted them to believe, but they believe. And God wants to connect these people and to come to the same understanding to follow Jesus. Now, at the same time, this is what I picked up. When people are coming together to unite and to serve the Lord, the opposition which are those people who don't believe. In this case, we, we uh, talk about that uh, ruler of the time. He didn't believe in God at all. And he could see that people who like to persecute God's people. And he leashed that, you know, I mean, uh, allowed that to happen. We, as Helen pointed out, we may face difficulties. If we choose to follow God, People even from our own families may stand against us and all sorts of opposition. But we know that if we are persevering and praying, God will deliver us. And that's one of the things which we learn about uh, Peter, how God delivered him. 
and many other disciples and Paul we learned last week about that not to be scared because sometime even in our subconscious we may think you know I believe I know it's in between me and God but I'll keep it quiet actually we are called to spread it out Can I just add something very quickly here Len a, a great statement I read it said when the church prays the cause of God will go forward and his enemies will come to naught even if this does not exempt the church from suffering and martyrdom Yeah well listeners we come to the end or almost Next week we study Acts chapter 13 and 14 and see how the Christian movement continued to spread through the Apostle Paul as the Holy Spirit used him in different areas on his first missionary journey. Be sure to tune in if you can to hear more of this exciting story as we study further in the book of Acts.